Hello and welcome to the penultimate episode of this season's The 42 Rugby Weekly. Gavin Casey in studio, joined as usual, we'll say, by Andy Dunn. Good to have you, Andy. How are you? I'm good. Thank you, Gavin. Excellent. Uh, Murray Kinsler is over at David Nusifora's State of the Nation address. So we are uh, replacing him, perhaps permanently, with Ryan Bailey from the 42. How are you, Ryan? Gav, good. Looking forward to the end of the season. Got oh, are the, you tired? Uh, got the flip-flops <laughs> on here now, to be honest. <laughs> Yeah, sun's out, guns out. Uh, looking forward to um, this weekend's Pro 14 final. We'll look ahead to that shortly. Um, elsewhere on the show, we've got an interview with Jack Conan. We'll be looking back on Leinster Munster and uh, also looking at Leo Cullen's difficult week, we'll call it, um, in the lead up to that Pro 14 final in Glasgow. Um, but just to start off, lads, uh, Murray Kinsler reported last night on the 42 that Graham Rowntree has been in Limerick meeting with Munster with the view to potentially becoming forwards coach. Certainly he's in the conversation at the moment. Um, a man of vast experience, I think three lines towards he's been in and uh, obviously worked with Andy Farrell as well in the England setup as well as Stuart Lancaster from 2011 until 2015. Um, Ryan, I might start with yourself. What kind of a recruitment would he be? Is it a, a well, probably is a positive step in that yeah, at the absolutely. moment there's nobody there anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's true. No, but I think, you know, obviously in the aftermath of, of the news that, that both Jerry Flannery and Felix Jones have been leaving, I think, you know, a lot of Munster fans would be worried about losing that identity, obviously. And, and obviously while Graham Rentry is in, you know, an Englishman, he certainly the initial reaction to the links that Murray was reporting last night has been really positive from a Munster point of view. I think a lot of fans out there are excited by the prospect of him linking up and it was the exact same with Rob Howley. Like these guys have got obviously incredible CVs and I think the fear for a lot of Munster fans just talking to them as well is that Van Graan, because it's a World Cup year as well, that a lot of coaches will be obviously hired and, and in jobs and under contract then for the next cycle is that he might have to look back at South Africa or whatever and it kind of doesn't you know, raise too much excitement among Munster fans, but I think this is another name really that, that would kind of, you know, set the polls racing really and, and, and kind of cause excitement and, and hopefully maybe add to, to what Van Graan has, has got at Munster already. Yeah, he uh, worked as well at one of your former clubs, Harlequins, and he, um, granted he's not a Munster man and maybe won't bring with him a, that Munster identity, if we can call it that, but... He's a hard bastard, and uh, <laughs> I think monster people can gravitate towards that for sure. Yeah, he's he's. Um, I'm not so sure if as he would set my my pulse racing as as Ryan said, Graham Roundtree. But you're not a monster uh, fan, are <laughs> Well, I am a monster right. fan. I have no. I mean, I I obviously I'm I'm a Leinster man and ex Leinster player, but I'm a I'm a, I, you know I'm a fan of of. A club as colourful and with as much culture as Munster, you know, a province that is has uh, really such a rich history. And it, it's interesting because is it a case that they there's, they could go there's two ends of the spectrum? Do they really embrace that and bring in a homegrown hero? You know, in a perfect world, do they go and look at a Roger or a Paul O'Connell or you know and really go back to this is what we are and who we are? Or and there's a fear I think among ex-players of you go into that environment and suddenly you're walking down, you know, the street in in uh, Limerick or Cork and your things aren't going well and people are having a go and it becomes very parochial, very difficult to live in that environment as an ex-legend. You know, wh where do you go? It's it's uh, 
very, very tricky. So they might look, I think, down the line as somebody coming in to to be a director of rugby like Leo Cullen. I think Leinster have got that mix right. An ex-player who's maybe not the one that gets abuse hurled at him all the time for performance on the field and Lancaster such a strong character. So maybe that, that kind of angle, they bring in a hard, hardy, you know, experienced guy who's been international level, Lions level, who is, uh, he's, you know, he's not probably going to be intimidated by that that monster cultural side of things and, and will just be all about performance. Potentially, you know, and, and, and when I, I hasten to say exciting uh, appointment, but maybe a pragmatic one. Yeah, yeah. more than a stopgap, you'd probably. Yeah, so, well, that, you know, with the with the coaching experience he's got, I doubt he would be any interested in taking a, a job that's as a stopgap. He probably, you know, the other query is, would he have an eye on being a head coach or running a team? He's never done that. Andy Farrell has now obviously come through the ranks as a coach and done that, but, you know, You've got to run that through Van Graan as well. Is there a guy there with ambitions to be the top guy? And is that going to cause hassle? I don't know. The, so. other, the other point is that he's obviously with Georgia at the World mm. Cup. So, you know, on the basis that Van Graan will want his management team in place for pre-season, he Very won't, if, if they go down the round tree route, he obviously won't be available. Now, Georgia might get knocked out at the pool stages and yeah. he'll be back earlier than expected. But at the same time, it's still not, not ideal. Yeah. Very true. It's an interesting point you raise as well, Andy, about monster legends, uh, perhaps, you know, strolling down the street and getting abuse hurled at them. And it's something that I think is inextricably linked to that sense of identity and culture in Munster in that the great players from, let's call it the golden era of uh, Munster's professional history, as much as they're perceived to be heroes down there, they're also the, the connection between the fans and the players has also has always been so uh, prevalent at, at ground level mm. that nobody's afraid to actually say anything to them. They're held yeah. in uh, in high regard and, and treated with reverence. And yet, you could be out in Cork or Limerick and bump into these guys, and you'll see people come up to them for a chat. Like it's not as if anybody's yeah. intimidated to talk to them. So it's yeah. it is a bit of a jungle for them if things are going badly. It's tough, but it, it's part of the the joy of the history of Munster that, you know, when you looked at uh, Manchester United, the, what happened was as, as as soccer became, more money came into football, the guy on the terrace ceased to relate to the guy on the field because there was a massive difference in their lifestyle and their culture, in their, their pay package. You know, the, the, but the, that kind of tangible link and quality never escaped in the Munster culture. The guys were among the people for want of a better phrase, they were completely, you know, there were lots of fans going to the game who got paid more than these lads and yet they watched them kind of, you know, go out and physically batter teams and win Europe at a stage when Irish professionalism was still developing. So that that was, it's a double-edged sword then because the accessibility of these guys who became legends also then makes them equally as accessible and why won't he chat to me now on the street? You know, has he got above a station now that he's this, that and the other? That They do have a very delicate um, balancing act as an ex-player to come back in. <clears throat> and, I, and uh, you know, I wonder, was that uh, part of what maybe Jerry Flannery's 
concerns were in terms of well, like you know, is there's only so much you can deal with. We're all trying our best, and maybe go off. And you see Mikey Prendergast and Paul yeah. and Raj, and they're all a way off, getting learning their trade in a, in an environment that you know they can walk down the street and no one knows who they are, and that's probably pretty nice for them as well. Yeah. It could be nice as well if uh, Monster do go far and across the board with their new recruits. I'm sure it'll take a while before the faces register. Mm. Um, but we'll see how that one plays out. I'm sure it wouldn't we'll take too long morning. for Graham Rowntree's face no. to, to register. <laughs> no, I think I, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty, <laughs> pretty distinct. Yeah, <laughs> pretty sure we'll see him coming. Uh, yeah. yeah, we'll see how that one plays he's out. He's a Monday morning weeks. press briefing down in UL. The, the <laughs> terrifying he's stuff. A, he's a head like a burst kid. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, apologies, Graham, uh, but not really. Uh, no, we'll look back on Leinster Munster then. Uh, fantastic win for Leinster. Got the uh, show back on the road after a disappointing European final. And I suppose for all the talk we've heard of Munster making progress, despite the fact that it hasn't been especially conspicuous, they looked actually a little bit further away in this uh, fixture in the end than they did in the corresponding fixture last year. Granted, last year they scored a late try to kind of put a little bit of glass on the scoreboard. But to go or to come up against a Leinster that started with Ross Byrne over the World Player of the Year and were shy of a couple of names and to not really come within an ass's roar of them was obviously disappointing for them. Um, maybe talk us through firstly from uh, Leinster's perspective, Ryan, or from the Leinster point of view, rather, how impressed were you by that performance and particularly how they responded to what was a yeah. fairly gut-wrenching uh, week? Yeah, they'd obviously right. spoken, you know, I was in with them a good few times the, the, in the week leading up to it and they'd spoken so much about, obviously, the, the physical hurt, but it was psychologically that they were kind of most, most concerned about guys were, were naturally really, really low after after Newcastle and they hadn't experienced a European Cup final defeat. So they didn't, Leo Cullen didn't know how his players were going to react. You know, he spoke about how tricky the week was and managing that. And, and you know, they were only on the training pitch twice uh, leading up to a, a Pro 14 semi-final. So um, it was a big response for them. But you always kind of felt that there was kind of an element of concern among the Leinster kind of support base as well that this was, they were vulnerable. It was a real chance for Munster. But you always felt that the big players, even though Johnny was on the bench, that, you know, the likes of Devin Toner, Keane Healy, all those guys would drive it and they were always going to come back with a big response. Um, and they certainly did. Like, it wasn't perfect. It was absolutely not perfect by any means. But they just got the job done. They pulled clear in the second half, moved through the gears. And, and as you say, had, had a bit left to spare as well, which was which is very satisfying from a Leinster point of view. Yeah, not to discredit Ross Byrne by any stretch of the imagination either. In the last five fixtures between the two teams, Leinster have won four, and those four have yeah. involved Ross Byrne starting. It was when yeah. Sexton started, Munster got their victory in Thoman Park in December. Um, were you at all surprised by how well Leinster responded? Andy, you did pick them to win, I think, last week on the podcast. I No, I wasn't actually surprised, because I, I, I was more surprised at their lack of invention in the Saris game under under pressure and I think they I, I would imagine they went and reviewed the Saris game and were really filthy about the opportunity because I, I'm I'm quite I've quite a conviction that Leinster threw that final away no matter how many times I've watched it back Saris okay they look very physically d demanding or domineering rather but Leinster played right into their hands and uh <clears throat> I think they fell foul of of sticking with a strategy um, as opposed to playing a bit more what was in front of them. And I, I, 
I don't think that's a trait they value highly. I think they like when a player can can think on his feet. I think they value that side of the game more than most professional sides. And the phrase uh, Lancaster throws out a lot, and I throw out a lot, which is a nice one, is being comfortable in chaos. You get <coughs> that players are empowered enough to go off script. And Leinster definitely have done that well. They didn't do it well in the Saris game and to their detriment lost their first ever European final. So I, I, I would have thought they were so annoyed with themselves that I, I thought they would they would bounce back against Munster. And they they did portray those strengths in the semis. They didn't just play, you know, a strategy. Strategy is never strategy is not something that survives contact with the enemy like strategy is strategy and I think Irish teams are guilty of just sticking with the strategy it's patently not working on many occasions this year for Leinster, Munster Ireland in particular and we've stuck at it and it looks turgid and we lose games so I think uh, Leinster went back to uh, um, has been a previous strength they were adaptable they used variation in their game the front row try is one for the ages in terms of what happened there and their technical execution, how they read the situation. I mean, it didn't look as polished as it would be with three, you know, <laughs> skinny backs running running the same play. But in, in fact, the, the result, the practical result of what those three guys did, I think it was it was a phenomenal piece of play that probably represents the best parts of what Leinster are about. So... Um, yeah, I think it was a fair result. I did tip them to win narrowly. I, I didn't think, unfortunately, I didn't think Munster would be as stale looking. But uh, again, that's probably uh, an issue that, that Munster have been creeping towards for quite a while, under the bubbling under the surface. Yeah, we'll get to that in, in a moment and I'm sure Monster fans are really looking forward to our thoughts on that. Something we return to nearly every week at this point. <laughs> I think they just want to all go on a holiday at this we'll stage. Move, yeah. We'll move the conversation on, but um, but at the same time, what, like, do you think it was the case that Leinster played a little bit more instinctively and deviated from that strategy against Arsons or did they just... Like the first half was tight. There was very few line breaks, very little invention really Monst- against Monster. Yeah. Was it just the case that a, an inferior team to Saracens cracked and they got the job done out wide uh, with yeah. that try? Maybe, yeah. I mean, they they did use the kicking game a little more, a small bit more than they did at Saris. It was almost non-existent. I think they're, you, you chip away at a team to make them crack from different angles. And the... The Saris game, they just ran at, they ran into the heart of this, the strongest part of Saris repeatedly. And uh, it was dumb, really. And um, they say, if that doesn't work, you try try a few, you know, offensive kicks. Uh, you know, they did one, uh, missed time Gary Owen from Sexton and it wreaked havoc, you know, but they never went back to do it. They didn't kick the corner. They didn't throw it out behind behind a screen runner to a 13 who could kick the corner like they didn't do any of those things they use a variation a bit more in the Munster game that's that's where I would see a difference and I think that was definitely something that would have been addressed after Sarri so you, you cannot just keep trying and trying and trying to break down the wall by physical contact my uh, analogy was 
during the week earlier in the week was Mayweather winning 50 fights and no one's ever laid a hand on him like you don't you do not have to be the physically domineering agent to win games always you can win games by stealth by avoidance of contact loads of different ways and um, we've I think Irish rugby's been very guilty in the last year of trying to you know our baseline is win the physical collisions and then we, then we can do what we want but you know we're, maybe we're not winning them against big teams so abort you know and change while it's happening so I do think Leinster did that bit more variation in the in the Munster game I think purposefully and on you know as a as, as a as a reaction to the the lack of variation against Aries. Mm, yeah, Floyd Mayweather never down as a professional Leinster peeled themselves <laughs> off the canvas fairly comprehensively. Yeah. Munster though down in the dumps really and it's a strange there's a kind of a strange dynamic I think to it. A lot of the more militant wing of Munster supporters online, we'll call them, uh, will point towards getting to semi-finals in both competitions in consecutive years. And how can we say Munster are in a bad place? What does that say about 99% of the teams in Europe if uh, if Munster are getting to semi-finals and we're saying they're in trouble? Um, my question would be, to whose standards are we holding them? Like. Munster should be held to a higher standard, their own standard, rather than that of Edinburgh or Benetton or any of these clubs that haven't done anything in Europe. So it goes back actually to something, and watching some of the discourse among fans reminded me of something you said, Andy, a few weeks ago about Munster fans, how you didn't want them to just settle for what they have. Like just getting to these semi-finals shouldn't be a satisfactory season, and it isn't a satisfactory season actually for the players they have at their disposal. You can bring in the conversation about like how the goalposts have shifted in terms of resources over the last decade, but pound for pound, really, like they should be kicking on in at least one of these semi-finals at this point, and they haven't actually come close in any of the semi-finals, really. No, they haven't. I. Yeah, I firmly believe, um, I don't think their fans are, I think, I. you know, there are obviously, there's all kinds of characters out there and some people will look for the positives in that. And that's that's fine, double semi-finalists. But, you know, comparatively speaking, you mentioned Treviso or Edinburgh, they, they ought to hold themselves to their own standard that they've set in their own culture. I think, I think they are doing that and that, explains why there's such a cloud of depression down there because they know they're I think they are aware that they have um I think they have the resources they have a lovely stadium they have a brilliant support base um their academy systems their school system is producing players there was a question mark on how many and how often compared to the Leinster setup but that's life as well but they are it's producing. improving as well it's definitely usually. improving um you know, to not beat around the bush anymore, I, I do think their issue is a coaching issue. Um, it's not a player issue. It's not a resource issue. They've chopped and changed too much. I think the one guy who, who had a, I think had a genuine opportunity to, to make a, a real lasting change there maybe was Penny, but tried too much too soon. You know, it was all a bit much to change the whole Munster way of playing. But now they're in between two stools. And I, I, I have real concerns that Van Graan can can get his arms around this thing effectively, uh, just based on his, his age, his experience, and also his previous history and his mentor being Heineke Meyer, who, who is, uh, you know, he's not someone who's going to bring any invention 
imagination or creativity to rugby. He hasn't ever done it. That's Meyer now I'm talking about. Mm. And Van Gran learned from him and would regularly name check that. And that would be a worrying thing for me. In a, in a province as colourful with such a good tradition for, for lots of winning in lots of ways, winning ugly, winning pretty, they've done it all. They definitely are are just this kind of grey middle ground at the moment. And I don't. I think they need a really strong established coach, maybe from outside that culture. Um, you know, I, I, I'm a big Liverpool fan and Liverpool were guilty at a time. Bringing back in Daglish was a great thing. But, you know, and they won a Carling Cup and it restored faith in the fans. But, you know, then they went with Rodgers and that nearly worked. But in reality, he was a big, a big charismatic guy who was able to lead them on this crusade in, in Jurgen Klopp that, that dragged them from the kind of obscurity they were in. And I think Munster need a kind of a marquee name to come in and do that as a head coach because I think they've got all the other things in place. Yeah, no. Yeah. Can the, Maybe the Jurgen Klopp. Well, what what a story Liverpool have, bec- have become <laughs> since spending 142 million on Allison and Virgil Van Dijk. Real underdog story. It's unbelievable. Well, World that, record fees for can that Cullen fishing. and Lancaster dynamic work at Munster as well, though. Like obviously that's work. Can Van Grand stay in the position he's in? And they bring you mentioned at the top of the show, obviously a director of rugby. Yeah. Well, I think it works in Leinster because there's no power grab. Yeah. The two lads seem to work really well. They're, they're not really egotistical. He's not, they're not fighting each other in terms of who gets to chit chat in front of the media. I don't think, I think their message is consistent with the playing team uh, or the pers- playing personnel. So it's a rarity. I haven't, I haven't really seen it a lot. Yeah. I mean, I, I went through a career. Everyone loves the assistant coach and the skills coach. He's not making any decisions. And then the assistant coach and the skills coach and the forwards coach and the whoever, the line-out coach, they, don't, they're, they, they like an old conversation behind closed doors with a player. And, you know, I would have picked you. And, you know, to be honest, I'm, we're trying our best here. To have a consistent message from management is rare. And Leinster have that for two from two guys who could very conceivably go the opposite way. They could be divergent. They could feel threatened, but they never seem to do that. Hugely, hugely admirable and, and a brilliant combination. So to get it again in Munster, it's probably unlikely based on just human nature to get two brilliant people who are prepared to share the limelight in, in equal amounts and have the exact same drive and direction. It's very, very difficult to get. So it would be ideal. Mm. I think it would be ideal for most clubs to get two brilliant people running the ship. I, it doesn't happen too often though in, not in professional sport anyway yeah there's a question here um, if Munster fans were pissed <coughs> off by that conversation by the way well firstly God help you I think it's all spot on uh, as per usual but secondly you're going to really hate this question from Joe O'Doherty who emailed into the show about Joey Carberry and Andy I think you're fairly well placed to answer this one but Joe says Joey Carberry was playing, albeit out of position, most of the time for the best team in Europe. He was rightly being lauded as the future international 10 and he let his impatience and possibly ego get the better of him by moving to a rival club who have tended to be on the wrong end of results against his own team. He also left behind possibly the best coaching and development structure in Europe and the opportunity to continue learning off the best player in the world who also plays in his position. Within a few months, he has ended up on a higher wage and longer contract. So he got that aspect right, I suppose. If you ask me, Neymar should never have left Barcelona for PSG. A lot of soccer analogies on this week's show. Usually I'm the one guilty of them. (laughs) Um, Firstly, 
Uh, thanks very much for your email, Joe, and to everybody who's emailed in throughout the season as well. We do enjoy a good long email. Probably a bit harsh to uh, label Joey egotistical considering he was borderline in tears when he was basically ordered to move to Munster uh, to begin with. I know he's, he's pretty happy down there now. Um, how do you assess the move overall? Firstly, Andy, maybe just based on his first season in red. Um, I, a brilliant move, I would say, from absolutely the right. So I couldn't agree, disagree more with Joe O'Doherty. Um, he was brave. He no, I don't buy into, you know, biding your time and learning off you know, the world player of the year. You, <clears throat> He'll have learned plenty from Johnny by assim- assimilation, absorption, just, just being around him. And he'll probably have learned most about, you know, professionalism, work ethic, being a, being a hard, driven, mentally strong player. But you will learn zero about execution on the field under pressure by watching Johnny. None. You don't. I don't care how good you are in terms of observation. There's no such thing in sport as learning the skills by watching. You just learn the skills by practicing the skills yourself, and you learn them better by practicing them under pressure. And you don't. You get ten minutes every three months at ten with aspirations to be an international ten. Forget it. You have no hope. And he was in the. He was dangerously close to the Austin Healy model of being a half in between player and you know we'll throw him in sure Jesus he can go 12 or 13 as well he's all the skills like forget it he's too good a rugby player uh, to do that so I think he was I'm sure it pissed off Leinster no end because you know they brought him through in a way they were they feel victimised by their own success and their own production line but that's life you know um, he was dead right and I think he's Little things that have happened over the course of the season, such as a couple of missed kicks away in Castor in the European Cup and then going and getting whatever, a streak of 25 kicks in a row. You can't get that watching Johnny Sexton, you know. So he uh, he was dead right. I don't believe there was any ego involved. I think there was a desire to play in the position he wants to play. And uh, yeah, I think Joe O'Doherty is bang wrong there. <laughs> Once again, Joel, thank you very much for your email. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Ryan, is he inhibited then by that lack of spark in Monster's backsplay that we've referred to incessantly now over the last couple of months? Like, as much as he has probably kicked on to some extent and has shown plenty of metal and gotten that opportunity to really establish himself as a starter, there's probably a few other gears in him that haven't mm. quite been unlocked yet because there's not much going on outside him. And that's not down necessarily to the personnel, but more so Monster's approach play. Yeah, for sure. Just on last week, I suppose he, at the RDS, like he was, you could, I was watching him for for a good while, especially through Munster's kind of phase play when they were kind of hammering around, hammering, hammering away around the fringes. And, you know, he was, he was screaming at Murray and, and then Matthewson towards the end. To, you know, he wanted the ball. He was trying to he was trying to do stuff. He was quite animated off the ball as well. And and watching him for those kind of couple of minutes, just there was a frustration there. He's obviously just back in the team after a frustrating period himself through injury. But you know, he was really trying hard. Um, you know, Scannell obviously stood as first receiver at times as well. So he, you know, there was a bit of you know kind of a bit of invention there he was trying you could really see he was trying to kind of mix things up as well but um yeah absolutely what you said is, is completely true like it's i've seen a good bit of monster this year and particularly in the first half of the season when he was fit and he was playing i remember his first game down in musgrave park against ospreys and 
his parents were just sitting in on front of the press box down there, obviously a tight little small ground and and it was an incredible experience to to see how he obviously played incredibly well. He scored his first try for Munster that night and just how the fans took him in. He got a huge reception when he went off and his parents after the game were actually clapped off as well when they left. For producing and, him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> But it was just from that moment on, you knew it was the right move. He's arrived at, at Munster and, you know, deeply frustrating, obviously, the second half of the season. But I completely agree with Andy that, like... How long did he, is he going to have to wait behind Johnny at, at Leinster for his chance? Like Johnny could potentially have another two, three, four seasons, and then you've got Ross Byrne there as well. Like so, you know, you can't sit around forever. Um, and while, as you say, it was tough at the start, and I just remember being at Carton House this time last year, and yeah, he was nearly in tears. He, you know, this guy had come up through the Leinster system and was being forced down to Limerick. But there's yeah. more. There's more than a few parallels with the uh, one of Munsters. Uh, greatest sons and Tony Ward, you know, the, the swarthy, good looking, <laughs> tanned Leinster number 10 coming down to play in Munster and being welcomed with open arms because of how creative and talented he is. They're very, you know, to me, okay, 30, whatever, five, 40 years later. But um, it would be so great to see his ability um, come to the fore by that thing I always harp on about. The, the, the skills game being <clears throat> probably more given more freedom to express itself across their team because I like I really think like in Murray himself Chris Farrell Keith R- Earls Rory Scannell like, like if, Rory, you, if you use Rory Scannell as a second playmaker which they, they just don't I know they've, they've they really that's when you go back to have they the resources you're, you're dead right they have the resources they absolutely do and I think um that's where you, you probably look for a can we can they finally kind of settle upon a, a style of play, and that that again leads back into Jerry Flannery and Felix going to New Zealand, and and not like they can't unsee what they saw in New Zealand and the words they use themselves as this is embarrassingly simple because they they saw teams and management coaching styles that were fully embracing skills as opposed to prescriptive play. Um, and I, I was chatting to my brother during the week, who he has done a master's in cre- in, in um, creativity in sport. He's been working on it in the last 18 months. He's interviewed all kinds of people from, uh, I think he interviewed Stuart Lancaster through to uh, Garrett Southgate. He's loads of interviews and it's for academic purposes. But there's a, there's a huge challenge going on in across sport with the advent of professional coaching which is 24-7 and we do all we need to do to justify our huge wages and our job but a huge amount of management of professional sport is take your hands off of it and allow these brilliant players who've got to that level a bit more freedom to express themselves and I think within that even those monster backs we just mentioned if <clears throat> if they didn't have a really really clearly defined plan but but some baseline planning, I think it would allow a bit more ingenuity in their game. I just think there's, this is a question across the board. Can you just dial down the instruction levels from 11 out of 10 to 6 out of 10? We're not saying Harlem Globetrotters, mm. but, uh, and my brother's analogy, interesting, was the SAS. They, they cannot possibly, the SAS go into 
life-threatening situations on a daily basis. So they cannot prepare for every situation they're in. So if to rely on the skills they've learned under pressure to adapt in a kill-or-be-killed situation, they don't know the template every week. And there's no way a rugby coach, no matter how much money he's on or how intelligent he thinks he is, can work out the eventualities of every 80-minute game. And it seems to me at times they're trying to do that. So leave, leave your players the, the capacity to do it a bit more often. They're cerebral, you know, in terms of how they read the game. And I think if Munster allowed that with the likes of Carberry, he would repay them in buckets. He's one of the only guys who can cut a team open in a broken field situation, you know, and the likes of Chris Farrell outside him, they would eat it up. Yeah. You know? Going just to briefly touch back upon uh, out-halves, I suppose, not sitting and waiting for their opportunity to come years into their career. Bill Johnson, obviously moving from Munster up to Ulster. He's 22 now, hugely touted talent in Munster for a long, long time, has just suffered injuries at fairly crucial stages of his development and just finds himself behind three rather senior and capable out-halves in the Munster setup. And yet, uh, we've seen this move to Ulster work out for plenty of players over the last couple of seasons. And there is probably a bit of a vacancy there at 10 if Johnson can kind of fulfil some of that potential he showed particularly earlier in his career. What do you make of the move, Ryan? It's a good one. It's a, yeah, it's a very good one. Obviously, he's going to have to go up there and, you know, they've Billy Burns and Johnny McPhillips, who obviously played alongside Ireland under 20 level as well. So um, it's a great one. Uh, as you say, it's just he hasn't been able to kick on. He's got so much potential and... Potential is a dangerous word, obviously. Um, he showed it, though, at under-20 level. Just injuries have just, just curbed his development a bit. It must be frustrating for him. And, you know, obviously, JJ Hanrahan's move back, saw him kind of fall down the pecking order a bit. And to be fair to him, it's a, you know, it's a bold move. It would have been easy to... And it kind of comes back to, obviously, the, the Carby situation as well. And, you know, we were you're talking about David Nusifor last week, and he signed his new contract this week. And he's kind of brought that into Irish rugby, where younger guys now are not afraid to to move and um you know Noah Woods of Navy Blues his agent is I know he was kind of heavily involved in this as well and you know guys are 22 21 22 where it would have been easy before I think maybe just to to sit at your native province who you've dreamed of playing for um and wait for your opportunity and if it doesn't come I'll move on at 26 and 27 whereas you know it's um, it's a bold move and, and I think like it could really work out for him as you say like there's an opportunity there there's an opening there and if he can force his way into to McFarland's team or his plans and you know we could really see that potential kick on providing he stays fit and, and hopefully for him he does Super stuff we wish him the best of luck we'll look ahead to the Pro 14 final in a few minutes but first Ryan, you caught up with Leinster's Jack Conan after their win over Munster at the weekend. Yeah, he was at the Aviva Stadium for the Aviva Mini Rugby Festival on, on Sunday, less than 12 hours after Leinster's win over Munster. So I just started by asking him how the body was after two pretty physically demanding weeks. At this stage of the year, it's been, it feels like you've been playing for months and months and months and, and uh, the last two weeks, have, like this, this game against Saracens was the most physical game of rugby I think I've ever been involved with. You know, on both sides of the ball, like every time you carried you're absolutely smashed, you know, but you're putting your body on the line to tackle the, the side, some of those lads like the size of them. And then again with Munster, you know, the emotional kind of battle of yesterday to have those lads come up to the ODS is, is, is huge. So, 
um, you know, all things considered, I'm not too bad. A bit tired, but um, you know, I'm, I'd, I'd be a lot worse if we hadn't won. So um, delighted that we get a chance to still win a bit of silverware and finish the year on a high. Yeah, you spoke after in Newcastle that you didn't play Leinster rugby, and you know, there's frustration there, presumably, and disappointment. But yesterday was was much more like it from your point of view. Leo said afterwards, far from perfect, but but much better. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the backs were really on point yesterday, and. You know, uh, I think we made ten line breaks compared to our one, which which was which was really um, one of the main reasons I think we won the game. Um, but yeah, I think our, our, we got really got into our attacking flow. Yes, I think we held onto the ball a lot better. We were really early into to clean outs and rooks, which stopped them from getting turnovers because we know you know with O'Mahony and, and Tyg in the second row, even CJ, um, at the threats across the park they have to make turnovers in that road really stifled our attack. So. Um, you know, we got into our attacking flow nice and early. Uh, kept on like taking over the, the the scoreboard. I think at, at half time to to go to the corner, and uh, even though we didn't win the line out, well, we won it, but we didn't set up the drive that we wanted to get and go get another three points, which was brilliant and was building the confidence and going into half time. So we, you know, sitting in the change room, we knew we were in a comfortable position. It was just about going and continuing to do what we were doing and playing in the right parts of the pitch. You know, when you when you have the likes of like Johnny Saxon, Scott Fardy coming off the bench. You know, it's a, it's a massive emotional and physical boost for everyone. And it really gives everyone so much confidence when those lads are coming on and talking to you and bringing that energy. And, you know, I think they really drove us home the last 20 minutes. Yeah, and the battle of the breakdown, obviously, there was so much talk about it pre-game because of the, the personnel in, in both sides. But you really enjoyed the upper hand in that sense. And, and obviously, personally, you, you had a big part to play in that. Yeah, I'm still looking for my first turn over the year. Um, I think it was quite close. Oh, I've gotten two interceptions now, which I think personally should count as turnovers. <laughs> but uh, yeah, not 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 so many turnovers for me. But we knew that that was you know one of the biggest threats is is their ability to make turnovers. You know, Tig is absolutely incredible um, at getting in on the ball, and then the same with Pete. So you know, all week we could be kind of the, the mantra of just chasing in early and. And, and making sure that we're hitting on suspicion and making sure they were getting no easy access, you know, all across the park, you know, both the scandals that let's go so hard at the ball as well. So uh, I think we did an excellent job uh, at making sure that they weren't getting easy access into our half through through um, laziness and, and just inaccuracies within with the clear out. So. Um, that was great and I'm sure the coaches would be delighted about it and it's something again we'll have to do against Glasgow because we know they, they pose similar threats Yeah, you spoke in, in December before the reverse game at Thelman Park about relishing the prospect of going up against someone like CJ Stander who's obviously an international teammate but someone in your direct position what did you did your eyes kind of light up on, on Friday when you saw him playing at 7 or subconsciously what were you thinking? Um, no, to be honest, even when he was named named at seven, I actually thought he'd be he would play at eight, and I thought they'd kind of swap him both around for scrums. Um, I, I think I mean, he actually did play seven though, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah to be honest with you, I, I, people always kind of try compare it to other people and say oh, it's going to be a matchup between you and CJ. Like there's so few times in the actual eighty minutes that me and CJ are going to have really any kind of encounter. You know, it's maybe the odd tackle or carry here so you know obviously when he's an incredible ball carrier you know and even some of the, the carries he made yesterday he, he made some great hard yards and um you know every time 
he gets a ball you have to be on red alert because he has the ability to you know put all his way through you and, and uh, sit you down which um, is never a good time so you know anytime I, I saw that he was going to get the ball I just made sure I was putting maximum amount of the line speed on him getting after him and, and making sure that he couldn't get that, that, that kind of run up and that getting a bit of steam and, and, and trying to like drop his weight into people so look it was, um, it, was it was just fantastic to get the win and kind of right the wrong after the Saracens and you know to, to sign off in the ODS of the year with, with, with the victory against Munster is just something really special yeah I'm sure you'll say your best is still to come but is this the most consistent you've played in your career or in a long time um, yeah I've been pretty consistent I've, I think the last while um, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I'm physically fit um, you know I'm not carrying any niggles I'm not worried about a neck or a shoulder or anything like that and you know that helps with confidence um, so you know you can just go out and worry about your job and, and your execution you don't have to worry about oh you know my shoulders at me I don't want to try tackling that side or anything like that so um, yeah I'm pretty happy with how I'm going at the moment still uh, there's always areas to improve on and, and I'll be looking to improve again this week if I get the opportunity to play against Glasgow but uh, you know myself and Lance are in it, we're in a good spot at the moment and, and it, it's a fantastic opportunity to finish here with a bit of silver yeah do you, do you feel you've kicked on again this season I know you've spoken a lot about you know taking your chance whether it's in blue or green but do you think you've really kicked on again and made strides um, yeah, yeah. I think I'm just more consistent through 80 minutes. You know, I don't think I've reinvented my game or, or you know, I'm doing something now massively different than ever was. I probably just at times was um, not always at the forefront. Where now I feel like I'm, you know, uh, constantly carrying or constantly making defensive tackles. It's probably how I fit into Lancer's defensive structure as well. You know. Because I'm in the back row, you get around the corner first in scrums, and they hit up the middle. So you, you know, predominantly, you're going to make making that second shot uh, if teams are just coming around the corner. So I feel like I'm into the game nice and early, and um, you know, I think that helps with, with nerves and things when you can just you know play your game. You've made your first carry, you've made your first tackle, and then it's just about implementing what you do all week. So yeah, look, I'm happy where I'm at, um, and hopefully, I can carry this form into into uh, this week and the start of next season. Yeah, one more job for Leinster this season, but that World Cup is is getting ever closer. Do you think about it much? Can you just block it out? You know, even Saturday at the ODS when you're coming up against so many international teammates, there's little jewels there. And as you say, players mightn't take too much notice, but us in the media or fans are are you know kind of relishing those battle, those head-to-head jewels. Yeah, um, you try not think about it too much, to be honest. Um, you know, it's still it's close, but it feels so far away because the last few weeks, every game for Lancer has been like a final or a semi-final. There's so much importance to it, so you can't have part of your mind thinking down the line to um, to Japan with Ireland. So um, you know, I think if you produce day in day out for Lancer, uh, you know the outcome kind of looks after itself, and you know you put yourself in the best position once you're playing well and you're being consistent with Lancer that will things will hopefully fall into place with Ireland you know if you continue that form um, it's very difficult to pay, not play well for Lens and then go play well for, for Ireland so uh, at the moment I'm just completely focused on my job in, in blue and um, hopefully that that lend itself to a few good days in September in green Yeah not a huge amount of time now to reflect on, on Munster because it's all systems go again now for Glasgow this week did you see them in action on Friday night and obviously your familiar teams they, they won at the ODS a couple of weeks ago mm. but what do you make of them and it's going to be a huge challenges yeah yeah no, I watched the game on Friday night they put in some shifts um, really was a real dominant display you know physically I know obviously also came back into the last few minutes I think they had to finish off with 20 points but uh, the class were really dominated um, 
that entire 80 minutes. Um, you know, their ability to score tries completely off the cuff. You know, even there was a mall, I think, uh, horn chipped it through for um, the other horn, oh, I think yeah. it actually was, yeah. Um, you know, just their ability to score tries off the cuff like that, you know, you can never switch off. Uh, Ali Price, that little snipe down the, the blind side, you know, um, going between the two second rows and scoring in the corner, you know, they, they, they attack from absolutely everywhere. And, um, you know, I think defensively we're going to need the, the best performance we've had all year against them. Um, if we can win the collisions and slow down the ball, I think that'll go a long way to, to, to helping us get the win because we know that it's kind of really, really high tempo and width they like to play with. Um, they're kind of like Toulouse in the sense that like they throw a lot of offloads, you know, they've got some real incredible backs with a lot of X-Factor who will, who will push the, 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 the ball a lot and, and, and really kind of test us defensively. So, um, yeah, it's going to be an extremely testing day for us. and. Hopefully uh, another another great day out and, and it's going to be special to, to, to kind of sign off this year on a winning note, please God. Yeah, we're here at the Aviva Stadium and obviously 12 months ago the motivation was to do a, a double, first mm-hmm. ever double. Now the motivation is slightly different having lost the Champions Cup final, but presumably there's still that level of motivation, maybe slightly different source, but still very much there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think we're a pretty self-motivated group. Um, I think the disappointment and the despair of, of Saracens is is a huge driver of motivation as well um, to show them that yeah okay we might not have done everything we want to do this year but we still have top quality side and um, we can put that behind us go out and put in good performances and that obviously started on Saturday against Munster and, and, and now appears hopefully again um, over in Celtic Park so um, look we didn't do the double-double unfortunately but uh uh, we'll be giving our absolute all to, 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 to get the win on Saturday which is going to be a, a hell of a game Yeah, you mentioned Celtic Park there St James's Park won two weeks ago and, and now Celtic Park it's, it's quite nice presumably to go and play different grounds I know as you said earlier it's, it's just another patch of grass but at the same time it's still a nice experience Yeah, absolutely it's, it's class to go see different stadiums when I, when, I said, when I said patch of grass that was probably a bit dismissive but I meant that it's when you're in playing a game you're not thinking oh this is a real nice yeah. stadium you yeah. know Um so in that sense, it's kind of a kind of you know, level playing field no matter where you are. But um, it's it's really it, it rugby is a great sport and a great livelihood to bring you so many different places and and, and give you the opportunity to play in these different stadiums. And uh, St James Park was incredible. It was you know a really nice place to to, to have a final and and uh, there's such atmosphere about football clubs as well and and great culture to them. And I I know it'll be the same again in Celtic Park and you know they're they're such a proud. Uh, um, football uh, club up there so hopefully we'll really feel that as well and we'll get a massive crowd and a sellout for, for the final um, and it'd be great to play and it'd be great to see I've, I've never been so I'm looking forward to it and, and uh, it's been a while since uh, I, I've been over to Glasgow so. and it'd be a great way to, to finish another as you say strong season for Leinster maybe disappointment in Newcastle but you've gone well yeah absolutely you know because we're at the, the top end of European rugby and domestic rugby you know we hold, we hold ourselves to such a high standard that anything less than perfection really is is nearly not good enough, and I think that drives, you know, uh, that drives lads, that drives us to be better because we we know we can do it because we've experienced, we've tasted it before. That you know, you always want to get back to the pinnacle, and you always want to get back to the the, the mountain top, and um, you know, European uh, glory and success. That is, you know, the number one thing that we're always chasing. And you now we couldn't do this year, but. You know, it'll drive us again next year to be better and, and hopefully make another final and hopefully come maybe back in Marseille. Jack Hannon, thanks a minute. Cheers.
Excellent stuff for Jack Conan. Massive game for him coming up at the weekend. Massive game for Leinster and of course Glasgow as well. Um, here's a question to start off with actually from Greeny93 on Instagram. He asks, or she asks, I'm not sure actually, I can't see the picture, but if Glasgow win, is it a travesty given Leinster's dominance for most of the season? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think... Like, Glasgow dominated their conference. Who cares if you're yeah, dominant? Yeah, difficult second half of the season for mm-hmm. Glasgow, but I think we saw their true colours last weekend against Ulster. Well, who cares if you're dominant in, in November? It's a competition that everyone knows the rules. There's a knockout format at the end, so... Yeah, no, it's not a travesty if Glasgow win. If Glasgow win playing the rugby they played against Ulster, it's the opposite of a travesty. It's actually a celebration of teams playing brilliant attacking rugby and being rewarded for it. So I still want, obviously, like Leinster to win, (laughs) but uh, I don't think you can dwell on, you know, a dominant August to February yeah, say oh, told, you know that's a travesty. Yeah, it's not quite a New York Giants Super Bowl run, no. but after a nine and seven season, Absolutely. really, is it? No, conference toppers in their own right. Glasgow, um, Ryan, it's been a difficult week, you'd have to say, for Leo Cullen. Um, he's been firing shots at us, shoddy journalists, not just at the forty-two, but media across the board, um, bringing up headlines that I don't believe to exist. Frankly, uh, these harsh headlines about his team selection. And also um, finds himself in hot water over in Glasgow as well, where he's off to mm. uh, Celtic Park for, for the final. Sure, yeah, yeah uh, the new firm between Leinster and Glasgow. Did you see it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you were there, Ryan, weren't you, for the press conference where uh, he made the comments? I was or? there for both. So I'll start maybe with the, the kind of the headline situation. Um, you know, obviously the team was named last Friday and, and the kind of the big news and or the shock news was uh, Sexton was on the bench and... Um, Colin explained his decision and, and that was fine and um, kind of everyone took it as, as kind of face value um, and he kind of he, he kind of explained that he was being a bit vague around the whole situation but that's kind of par for the course really mm-hmm. um, and yeah so following morning there was obviously some headlines that he didn't agree with um, I think the big thing that he wasn't happy with was the use of the word dropped Um he doesn't like that term. And there was a few places um, that used that term in relation to the, his team selection and uh, even dropped to the bench. He was not, I don't think he was happy with. So yeah, after the game on Saturday, his team had obviously just won a semi-final and got into a final and in the written media section of the press conference where he's surrounded by uh, the journalist, he, uh, first question was about... Um, selections and obviously Josh van der Fleer coming back in and Ross obviously had a good game and the first question was you've got a pretty tough selection this week and he used that then as his opportunity to go um, and in fairness he made a, his point and it was over fairly quickly but he clearly wasn't happy with it um, and it's not the first time either it's um, and he kind of had to go with the headline makers or who writes the headlines I don't know if you guys write your headlines and all this kind of stuff and and then Felipe Contepomi was up on Monday and he kind of towed the party line as well and to make it clear Johnny was not dropped um, so yeah it was an interesting couple of days and then as you said he made those comments about um, the supporters on on to this coming Saturday in that press conference and unfortunately that kind of went a bit viral on social media and I see it got a pretty bad reaction in Scotland as well and to be fair we were talking about it earlier and I think if you're if you're in regular contact with Leo Cullen and you, you're at most of his 
press conferences and stuff, you understand his sense of humor. You understand the way he kind of jokes about certain things or brings a bit of humor into things. And uh, I think not that it was taken slightly out of context because those quotes on paper and in black and white are exactly what they are. And I can understand the annoyance in some some quarters from them, but um, it was very much made tongue in cheek. And I found it interesting that of all the journalists in the room, none of them were the ones that actually reported on it. It was picked up by other outlets or other journalists who weren't actually there. Right. Um, and I think that was just kind of significant in itself. But obviously, yeah, it's... And then, you know, Dave Rennie was asked about it as well. So it, it's it's gathered legs, as all these things tend to do, um, which is interesting, yeah. Yeah, you mentioned there, if you were from Glasgow, perhaps, and you are sick of all of that sectarian nonsense between Celtic and Rangers, and you read the quotes on paper, perhaps you could be a little bit annoyed. But when you hear the audio or see the video, he's smiling, his tone of voice lends itself to the fact that he's saying it slightly ironically, like in that it's... He's having a bit of fun. I don't think he, <laughs> he certainly didn't intend to uh, cause any offence. And also, like, is it that controversial to suggest that Celtic fans would support an Irish team when there is obviously an, uh, a very prevalent link between the club and the country? I, I, I don't think so personally. But then I'm not from Glasgow and maybe we shouldn't wade any further into it. But uh, certainly I was surprised to learn from you, Ryan, that... Um, there is one particularly ardent Celtic fan in Leinster's squad. There is. Yes, James Ryan is a big uh, Celtic fan. Yeah, he, apparently he's got a few of his, his teammates on board as well. I think Rory O'Loughlin and himself were, were wearing Celtic jerseys last week. So apparently, yeah, there's, there's a couple of links there and a few uh, that Jack Conan interview that we just played as well. He's, you know, wouldn't be a huge football fan, but he was saying that it's great for, you know, they played in St. James's Park two weeks ago, Bill Bayer last year, that they really enjoy getting around to these different grounds. And for the football fans in the squad, it's brilliant to get out to go and see them. Obviously, as soon as they cross that white line, it's another stadium and it's another pitch, but at the same time, it's a nice experience for them. Yeah. So let's look ahead to the game itself then. Andy, can we expect Glasgow to... Uh, play similarly to how they did last weekend will Leinster <clears throat> allow them to play that way uh, well what I would have thought definitely Glasgow will will go out with the intent to play the same way they've been they've had a, a style of play that they've been developing for six seven years maybe longer um, it's definitely a very Kiwi influenced um, Townsend was really the one I think who was probably who's foremost in my mind in terms of guy who who implemented and developed it but the 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 style is use the full width of the field um create space in between defenders and and try and exploit it as opposed to the other end of the spectrum which we've seen in Irish rugby is try to create space at a later period by ramming into people uh, smash into a brick wall in order to create space elsewhere. So they have a very different uh, philosophy. And when it's done right, it's absolutely magical to watch. So does I would be, I don't see for one second they're going to change that. They, do, they, haven't, they haven't been a team that has shifted in policy at any stage in big games and European games. They just keep playing that way. Um, I think the the interesting angle is how Leinster, because Leinster have shown the capacity to vary their game 
although they didn't in the European final. In lots of situations in the last couple of seasons, they've played different styles of rugby. So um, can Leinster quash or, or, or in some way shackle Glasgow's creative game? I think they can, yeah. I think with the likes of Van der Fleer and James Ryan, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Leinster go with a slightly more if you could call it negative or, you know, fire extinguisher approach as opposed to being really, let's get on the ball and be really creative. I think they'll want to dampen down that that Glasgow style. So in terms of horses for courses, maybe maybe uh, Leinster playing, si- ironically playing similar similar to how they played against Saris might be, they might be better served this week playing that style than breaking the game up loads. Yeah, it should be a tasty one. Live as well, uh, free dare on TG Car. Which way are you leaning, Ryan, and why, tell us? Um, yeah, Glasgow are... Actually, I've seen Glasgow a good bit this season, um, and they're a lethal team when they get going, and, and they fire. Particularly impressed, obviously, last week against Ulster. They weren't up against too much, unfortunately, in the end, but even just the horn try towards the end, was, I think it was the perfect example, and Leinster have actually cited that a bit this week just completely off the cuff. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously the pressure is off at that stage. The game is won, so it, you know, if it doesn't come off, it's not the end of the world. But um, the way uh, Horn just chipped through actually for the other Horn and just completely off the cuff, you know, no structure to it. Just um, play it as you see it, that freedom to go out and express yourself. Um, and as Andy said, it's just an absolute joy to watch when, when it gets going. Uh, and that, like, that's going to be tough for Leinster to, um, to kind of, subdue in a way and and mm. i think yeah definitely i'd agree with andy that the the kind of the tactic of winning that you know in the collision zone could actually serve Leinster really well this week and really just stamp their authority on the game and you know josh van der Fleer, as we saw it last week having him back is is a huge boost at seven um and you know while glasgow will be highly motivated in their home city um and they'll have a good support behind them um, Rangers yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Leinster will be equally as motivated it comes from a different source this year obviously last year they were going for a, a historic double whereas this year going back to Greeny 93's question it wouldn't be a travesty but it would be a hugely disappointing end to another what had been up until two weeks ago a very very good season for Leinster you know two weeks ago they were going for a double double and um, for them to lose two finals in the one season is it's unheard of and I think for a lot of Leinster fans it's it's not worth thinking about um, but having said that uh, yeah Leinster Leinster to get the job done purely because we are an Irish podcast <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough uh, a chance for Rangers fans to, to uh, watch their team lift some silverware at Celtic Park as well which is a tantalising <laughs> prospect yeah. Andy which way are you um, leaning for this one? Uh, I think Leinster uh, again yeah, just, um, yeah, p- probably a bit chastened by the Saris experience. Um, huge, huge experience in their group, you know, in terms of, of mileage on the clock in competitive and final cup winning environments. Like they've, they've won a lot more cups and finals than they've lost. So that know-how. Mm-hmm. They, they had that, hopefully a glitch, we'll call it against Saris, but I don't think they'll they'll make the same mistakes twice. I think they'll work out a way to, to beat Glasgow. 
Very briefly, in the English equivalent over in the Premiership, it looks like Dylan Hartley is going to be in a bit of a race against time to prove himself fit enough to make England's final squad for the World Cup. He'll obviously be involved in the uh, training squad, but ruled out of the Saints' trip to Exeter in the semi-final this weekend, which, if they lose, will mean that he hasn't played uh, a competitive minute of rugby since December. Do you reckon, depending obviously on his fitness, we don't know how fit he is, like... There was talk that he could have played 75 minutes last week and uh, then been in a wheelchair this week or else he could have maybe done a few minutes this weekend, but you just don't know how it's going to go. Can you see him squeezing in there with that extra few weeks just to get into the swing of things? Or will that training squad be nearly too intense for a guy who's only sort of 50-50 at the moment? Do you mean him getting into their into training their, squad or the World Cup? Into their final squad, sorry. I think oh. he'd be in the training squad as a co-captain. Like, um, Yeah, I... I just based on the history of the relationship with him and Eddie Jones, he just seems to like him hmm. as a as whatever you know, whatever he brings to that environment. Uh, to me, he just brings ill discipline. But uh, he seems to have some kind of uh, made some kind of impression on Eddie Jones that he's the guy that's going to lead us. How abrasive he is, um, something like probably Eddie sees similar traits. In him, Eddie was a hooker, an abrasive hooker, even though he's kind of a midget. <laughs> <laughs> he was pretty full on uh, as a player. And he played in Randwick with Cheka. So there was Eddie Jones and Cheka in the same forward pack, which I can imagine was yeah. tricky to get a word in. But um, so, I, yeah, I just seem, I, I don't, he's, I don't think he's, he's anywhere near the calibre of player as um, Jamie George. Jamie George in, in size. I don't think he's anywhere near him. Mm. So I don't think he'll start on their their in their big World Cup games, but I'd say he will definitely go, yeah. Um, um, if, he, if he can strap himself together over the summer, and I'd say he'll go, yeah. Eddie just likes him, I think. Yeah. And as a fan of instinctive out-habs, uh, yes. uh, delighted, no doubt, to see Danny Cipriani win Premiership Player yeah. of the Season. <clears throat> yeah. Well, I was in England in '03. And uh, I, he was seventeen. He was still in school, and we, we, I would, I was kind of in and out of the Harlequins team. You'd play maybe a Premiership game on a Saturday, and an A game on a Monday night, the the A League on a Monday night. So I was as a young guy who just come in. I was kind of doing both, to be honest. And they're getting value for money over there. They were they'd flog you. So Saturday game, Monday game, and uh, I played against Cipriani. Uh, I just was completely. That was. What is that? Sixteen years ago, and he absolutely lit the place up. He was seventeen, and he was still in school, and he ran rings around everyone, myself included. I was twenty-four or whatever, but um, yeah, I just I think he's admirable. Uh, he's had all kinds of gaffes and mistakes. He's just human and vulnerable, and makes mistakes off field a lot. But like, add some much-needed color to our rugby lives, and uh, you got to respect. The fact he's had so many trip ups, failures, mistakes, gone to Super Fifteen, and he comes back into Gloucester, and he's he's back, kind of lighting the place up again. Johan Ackerman saying he's never coached a guy like him, mm. and he's been around. You know, he still has huge speed, amazing distribution, a brilliant left boot. A lot, there's a lot going from exiled from the England team since <laughs> yeah, last summer. It's a big the fan of the show as well. I apparently <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah. Apparently so. Uh, hence the mention. Cheers, Danny, <laughs> and best of luck with the uh, 
the rest of your career. Enjoy your summer uh, if you're not involved in that England training squad. That is all we've got time for on the penultimate episode of the 42 Rugby Weekly this season. We'll be back next week with our season review. Ryan, thanks a million for joining us. Cheers, Gav. Andy, thanks a million as always. We will chat to you both again soon. Enjoy the Pro 14 final and have a good weekend, generally speaking. Until next Thursday, take it easy. Mm